0: Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Dr. Eric Russell as we continue our weekly servant leadership discussions. This week, we explore the concept of career calling as it relates to servant leadership. Russell. Welcome back to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Thank you. Great to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to continue our weekly servant leadership series as we talk about different facets, different aspects, important principles related to servant leadership. This week, we are going to be talking about calling and the importance of calling in work, calling in leadership and what that really means and looks like within organizations and what we as leaders can do um, both in relation to our own calling as leader but also in supporting others in in uncovering and understanding the calling and purpose they may have in the, their work that they perform uh, for those of you who may not have caught our previous episodes in the series each week over the course of the summer we've been meeting to discuss servant leadership in different aspects and so uh, I hope that listeners will go back and check out the that the back catalog and look at some of those episodes uh, as we really touch on uh, a whole range of important issues and topics. Um, and for listeners who may not have heard those previous episodes, just a real quick introduction for Dr. Russell. Dr. Eric Russell is an associate professor of emergency services at Utah Valley University, and he is an HCI research associate. So, welcome back, Eric. Uh, great to be with you again. And anything you want to
1: add by way of background or introduction before we dive on in? No, I'm good. Uh, calling is an interesting topic because it's it's it goes back to what we discussed earlier about listening and listening to that inner self um, and and what it is that what it is that your inner self is being called to do. So, this is this is this is a fun topic. Excellent, excellent.
0: Yeah, you know, calling is something I think a lot about. Um, long before I was ever uh, familiarized with servant leadership theory, um, before I ever read any of the, the, the foundational writings, before I ever really found myself in a leadership role, I thought a lot about calling. And part of that was just due to my religious upbringing um, and the faith uh, of my parents and how I was socialized and just how I was raised to, to think about issues around calling. And in my faith tradition, calling is is very important. And, and every individual in the congregation has like a formal calling that they're given, a responsibility, a purpose that they're given within the congregation to, to have their, their way to contribute. Um, and, and so even from a very young age, probably the first time I ever had a responsibility was even just as like a young, um, a young child in, in primary at church. And then growing into a teenage years and having some leadership, uh, youth leadership opportunities and those sorts of things on up through my adult years, you know, it's just part, it's baked into my faith tradition of having these callings. And sometimes they're formal, but a lot of them are informal, um, you know, where, where it's just an individual feels called to this grander purpose. Now, what we're talking about today is not necessarily grounded in religious um, uh, uh, theology or or any you know particular religious dogma. that's but I'm just saying, you know by way of personal introduction, it's been something I've been thinking about uh, for a long, long time. And then once I became uh, exposed to to Greenleaf and I became exposed to servant leadership, and it just clicked. I'm like, yeah, calling is so important. It's been so foundational to me in how I define myself and and how, you know my self-identity, over the course of my life and how I like to think about what I do with my work and with my family um you know today and and it just fit with 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 my upbringing and how how it connects with servant leadership um, so that's my connection initially to it and i just grown with it and continued to really love that principle as as I've moved into my own leadership roles as I've done my own scholarship around leadership and, and servant leadership and done teaching and, and working with other leaders. How about yourself, Eric? What's, at what point did calling become something that you were keying in on?
1: Yeah, so I was raised by my dad, who was, and my mom, of course, but my dad was a professional firefighter and before that he was a marine so he and he was a big city firefighter he was he was very well known um everybody loved him he was my hero i always looked up to him And when i was a little kid all i ever wanted to be was a firefighter like that's what i wanted to do for a living i grew up in a firehouse Uh, but my dad never pushed me into the work like he didn't want me to he didn't want me to go that route he wanted me to go to college and you know become like a history professor or something like that but he didn't he didn't want me eating smoke for a living he didn't want me seeing that world so he he was always happy that I was interested in it but I never really um, I was never really pushed towards it and so I go through high school. um, I get into college by the skin of my teeth. Um, I'm on a four-year free ride. My GPA is lower than my blood alcohol level and there's no possible way that I I can continue. I just can't do it. And all I needed to do was just study history and throw the hammer. And so there was no way that I could do that. And so I found myself walking away before I got kicked out um, and headed towards, um, I don't know, a new life, but I was young and I didn't know what I wanted to do. And then all of a sudden, um, I found out about Air Force firefighters and I was like, and then something inside of me clicked. And it was as soon as I had found out about it, I was like, this this is it. And it was almost as if I was called to the career field. Um, but it was a big roundabout Way, And I never really thought about it until I got into servant leadership and retired from the, the Department of Defense and went into academia and learned about Greenleaf's philosophy. I never really understood the concept of calling. And it's what Greenleaf had said was, is you, you're called to lead through your desire to serve. And that made total sense to me. And I had to unpack it in my my career because we're the one branch, we're the one job in the military where um, you can't be a commissioned officer firefighter. It doesn't work. You have to work your way up. So everybody has to start at the bottom. Everybody, because the experience you have to have in order to do the work, the work is too dangerous to just have somebody to be in charge of it um, at, at that higher rank that's never, that's never done the work. You have to have so much experience. And so it's that call to serve that brings you into the professions, right? It's, it's, why, you, it's why I stepped forward because I had that, what I know now that I wasn't aware of then, believe me, I wasn't some, you know, aware young man that knew what the hell he wanted to do i just i just wanted i wanted to do this for what i was thinking was just lineage but i was being i was being called to it but then once you're in the career field you're called to grow you're called to go to um next level to progress and to to progress to become an officer to go up to be a company officer and then a mid-level and then a chief it's that but that stems from that desire to serve there's no way that you could come in and be the chief and be in charge and call the shots and be a captain Um, you can't do any of that stuff if you haven't had that desire to serve that pulled you into the the profession in the first place and then that desire to serve in such a dangerous career field comes from a calling because it's not i realize in my work and my writings that i do is is these types of professions are not um well if this doesn't work out i can go do that like well if law school doesn't work out well i can always join the fdny it's like, no, it's, it, it's too much of an impact on you physically and psychologically that it really has to be a calling. And for those that just try to use the job as um, a fallback, they fail and end up, they end up self, either self-removing or are removed from the professions because of what it is.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, and I, and I think that's similar for other high burnout types of fields. And sorry for the pun, you know, with firefighting. No, it's um, totally
1: but, true. It's good. I
0: like but, it. But but no, I mean, social work, you know, for example, or even, te- even teaching, you know, K mm-hmm. through 12 teaching, I think those are driven by a sense of calling and grander purpose because they don't pay enough um, to be worth the headache, you know? No. And they take a huge toll uh, mentally, psychologically, emotionally, uh, and I mean, especially right now, I'm thinking my kids just are starting back at school, In the middle of a pandemic, you have teachers who get paid crap, um, who are expected to um, to do all these accommodations and try to keep the kids safe, all while they get constantly demeaned, you know, in uh, you know by broader society who doesn't tend to have a very high opinion of educators for some reason, Um, and and they just but they keep doing it, they persevere because of the love of the kids, because of their love. Uh, of the profession, and it's not for the money. I mean, heavens, no, it's not for the money because they get paid like crap. Um, but they continue, and and but we also see that people who get into teaching, for example, uh, usually within a couple years they're either in or out. They either self-select out because they realize this isn't for me, um, or or they they're committed and they just stick with it. Um, and same thing with social workers. You know, uh, I I come from a family of social workers and educators, and so I've seen that my whole life, and and I I can see what drives people um, to stick with those types of professions and firefighting. We could we could list a whole range of different types of professions um, where people clearly aren't doing it for the prestige, they're not doing it for you know the status, they're not doing it for the money, they're but they're doing it because of this grander sense of contributing back to society, to the community, to their neighbors, and serving um, those around them.
1: Yeah, yeah, and that's that call. So that's that call to serve. And from that call to serve, you get that call to lead. Um, That was identified as one of the characteristics after the original 10 by Dr. Spears, uh, is is you have to have that calling. And I would even say that, you know, We're obsessed as a society with fame and power and for, like we're we're obsessed with it. And so a lot of times, well, let's take academia, for instance, we know why academia is so expensive and it's not overpriced faculty, okay? So you have somebody that just spends, you know, eight, 10, 12 years, maybe if they do a postdoc fellowship getting their doctorate degree, getting their research under their feet. You know, they kick and scream, beg, borrow, cheat and steal to get to the tenure track. They go onto the tenure track. They spend, you know, six, seven years, depending on the institution, getting tenure, publishing, working 60, 70, 80 hours a week, especially psychologically, uh, which is exhausting. As somebody who worked physically and now psychologically, psychologically, Physically, I could take a rest. Psychologically, I'm just, I'm toast. I'm a, I'm a drooling idiot. So, um, But then we say, well, if you wanna earn a living, a, a, a decent living and not have to have side hustles, maybe adjuncting or consulting or um, editing or something like that on the side, the only way to really do that in academia is, is you have to go into administration for most for most professors, they'll never see a six-figure income unless they go into administration. And so everything that they just spent their entire life cultivating um, in their, their academic journey kind of goes out the window because once you go into administration, you become a bureaucrat and you go to meetings and all this kind of stuff. And they become miserable when they do it, but they're doing it for the money. And so when, with me, Okay, calling comes into places. Are you being called to be an academic administrator? Do you want to do it inside? Is it going to give you purpose and fulfillment? Um, because purpose is a big deal. Um, at the end of the day, are you going to be happy? Because I can offer you a two hundred fifty, three hundred thousand dollar salary, but you know what? You're going to build a life that's way too damn expensive. That's based on that, so the money's just relative. And number two. Um, you're going to have to do that job day in and day out and it doesn't end. And so I can give you a bunch of money, but that's not going to bring you happiness. And I think a lot of people don't listen to their inner selves of whether or not they're being called into a leadership position like that, or they're just doing it for the money. Or maybe they're like, I've never had power. I've never had say, you know, I've never had authority. So I'm just going to go in there and try it. And so that's really the difference. And I see that happen in academia. I've seen it happen in the fire service, in the military. I watched people um, go up and rank into different jobs that they did just because they're like, well, I get more out of my pension. Um, I, I can have more, but they weren't called to that position. They did it out of money. And man, they became miserable. Um, there's some people who love doing certain jobs and they're called to it and it can be any job, pick it. It, It's any one of them. But if you don't feel that inner calling to do something, you're going to be miserable in that position because that's the other thing that that's the dark little secret about management, especially middle management. Yeah, you're going to make more money, but man, are you going to get dumped on? because you're going to get it from both sides so unless you've been called into that unless you and when i say call it's not like it's not like some deity up there with with trumpets and everything bringing you it's that inner self going if i do this i feel that i can have fulfillment inside because one of the biggest things the biggest mistakes that a lot of people make and it is a privilege for those of us who have careers versus jobs is they're like, well, my job is a means to an end. Well, you're going to spend as much time at work as you are sleeping, all right? So that's a lot of your life to grind. And unless you're doing something that is giving you purpose, that, that is giving you fulfillment, and that you feel that you were called to do by your inner self, you're like, yes, this is a challenge. I really want to do this. I want to run with it. You're going to be miserable. And that's why calling is there, because you have that call to serve, whatever it is maybe it's a follower maybe it's a leader from there you get that call to lead because you step up you know you serve and you, from service you learn to lead and from there you become the leader and then when you look at different you look at different things in your life these opportunities these paths that have been put in front of you what path do you feel that you've been called to to walk down and it has to be a path of purpose and fulfillment not happiness because happiness is a bogus thing happiness Happiness only comes from that other stuff, but it's about purpose and fulfillment. And it's that calling that you get. And sometimes it could be a calling to sacrifice. There are, there are There's definitely that too. People run these 200 mile races down in Moab. So.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's right. And there's a tremendous amount of research to back up everything that you're saying, by the way. And, and not just within the realm of so, uh, servant leadership scholarship either. Like I'm talking about general leadership uh, research, general organizational behavior, um, industrial organizational psychology. Yes, um, th- t- there's tons of research that that demonstrates exactly what you just said. Um, and, and just as a, a brief example, my research is by no means the the pinnacle of this research, but but I've done research in this area myself. Um, and one of the things that I've seen, you know in relation to employee motivation, employee engagement, employee satisfaction, is the biggest drivers of that are relationships and its meaning and purpose uh, in the work in the workplace and with your work. Uh, it's not pay. Uh, it's not even stability or security. Uh, it's it, and we could list a whole bunch of other things: work-life balance, characteristics. There's all these different intrinsic, extrinsic types of motivators, but really it comes down to consistently across the globe, across occupational type, across levels in an organization, across culture and country context, uh, meaning and purpose in work, and workplace relationships are are it, like they're the main uh, elements, and one of the really interesting things that that you see too, if you start to do cross-national comparisons, is some places like um, Mexico, or um, some uh, South American countries, or um philippines or some of these types of countries that we wouldn't necessarily think of as like being the best place to live and work in terms of quality of life in terms of the type of work people do Um, you know they they actually tend to have just as high if not higher levels of worker engagement and satisfaction as a lot of kind of western industrialized countries do Uh, and one of the main reasons i think that is is because of this element of purpose and calling and meaning and people who feel feel satisfied generally with their place in life uh and so if we're, if we're constantly if we're constantly trying to keep up with the joneses and we're just trying to make more money so that we can fit in with our neighbors and we're trying to just fit in with what society tells us success is rather than just being authentically honest with ourselves about what matters to us, and then living that out, then we're never going to be happy. We're never going to um, truly be satisfied with with life. Uh, we're constantly going to feel resentful. We're constantly going to feel um, like we're lacking. And it doesn't matter if we're making you know half a million dollars or a hundred thousand dollars or fifty thousand dollars. You know, obviously we need to have our basic needs met. But once we're past the stage of having our basic needs met, and so we're not like scrounging for food and trying to survive at that point, you know, it's, it's, it's much more about relationships. It's much more about purpose. It's much more about meaning in the work that we do and how it connects with the broader society do is what we're doing, contributing to society as a whole. Do you get to make a contribution when you do, people are happier at work. They're more satisfied at work. They're more engaged. They're more motivated at work. Um, and I'm not even talking directly in connection with servant leadership theory right now. I'm just talking generally. Yeah. Um, and and so it it all comes back to exactly what you were saying um, that it, it's elusive. If we if we're just chasing power, prestige, status, money uh, for the sake of that, thinking that's going to bring us joy and happiness, it just isn't. Yeah. Now that's not to say that people can't have incredibly fulfilling careers or have calling in a middle management or executive role in an organization? Of course they can, right? But what you're saying is absolutely true. It, it comes back to what's their intention? What, what's the reason behind why they're pursuing that kind of a path in leadership in their career? Are they trying to become a CEO because they're all about power and they just like to have the power and they like to collect the power and then they like to um, you know exert power and, and coercion on others? Or is it because they see that as a means to then be able to influence and serve other people? And if, if I'm a CEO who just likes power, um, I'm gonna be very, very different, and that's a very different kind of a purpose um, and not a particularly meaningful one, than someone who wants to leverage their skills, their expertise, their knowledge, To better their organization, to better the people in their organization, and to provide quality products and services for the consumer to better society, right? Right. Um, And so, yeah, it just really comes back to what what is driving me, and I've wrestled with that uh, a lot in my adult life. Me too. You know? Yeah. Well, well, tell me a little bit about that, and I'll share a little bit about my own um, journey through that as well.
1: Well, like. You, you get asked when you have a certain background and a certain skill set, people ask you to go and do things and there's things that you can go do overseas and you can make a ton of money doing it, you know? Uh, but you have to leave your family. You're going to be gone for a long time. Um, you're going to be exposed to some pretty nasty things. You're going to be in the suck for a while. Um, and at the end of the day, you really do that stuff for the money. And that's really what it is, is it's it's about the money. And you can make a ton of money. You can make, you know, three, four hundred thousand dollars a year if you want. Um, a lot of that's tax-free, but you're in not the best places. You're not gonna go for a walk down the street. Um yeah, you have those opportunities. And then I've had opportunities for other leadership roles to come in and you know. Take leadership roles over organizations, uh, vice presidents positions, and things like that. That people ask me, but I just—I don't know. Academia is my second career, and so I'm lucky. That's why I'll always say um, I'm in a position of privilege where I don't have to choose that kind of stuff. Uh, but yeah, I've had—I've had so many different opportunities, and even like consulting opportunities. I've had you know some pretty nasty things happen in my life, but at the same time, I had some opportunities that were thrown in front of me that were. Um, you know, when they were done, it was a summer home. You know, you could you could easily have just written a check for a summer home. But I just wasn't in the place mentally. I wasn't there. I was still growing in other places. And plus, you know, I had had um, a, I lost my dad at the same time, and I was just like, I don't want to do this. I'm I'm not in a good place. Um, I'm literally just doing it for the money. And at you know, being in my 40s now and having seen all the things that I've seen and the losses that I've seen um, in a career and just how fragile life is, um, I can honestly say if that is literally your only motivator, you're going to be miserable about it. You will be miserable because it's not what matters in the end. It's just not. And so you can collect all the money you want. You can have a McLaren. You can have three homes. You can have a private jet. Um, But at the end of the day, if you don't have that fulfillment, that inside that calling, that purpose, not passion, passions for billionaires. But I'm saying that that other stuff, that's really what matters. And if you're just going to do this because you're going to make a ton of money at it, well, you got to grind at it every single day. And you're probably just not going to stockpile that cash and walk away in a few years. You're going to get addicted to the lifestyle. And then you're going to be in debt because you're going to be in debt to that check. And those are the things that I had to, I had to wrestle with. And it was the, 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 just Lots and lots of money that have been put in front of me, and I just haven't gone after it um, because I I know that in the end I don't need much more, you know.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I think about that too. You know, we you know I have a large family, um, and mm-hmm. so you I do. do I do. You know, want to make sure that I'm taking care of my family, but we're comfortable. You know, we're we we have our needs met, and so and and we have enough left over to save for the future and to have some fun. So you know, I I don't need to be rich um, or or even you know, higher middle class to to feel um, you know that we're okay. Uh, and and I I remind myself of that. I try to remind myself of that often, and talk to the kids and to my wife about that too. Like it's. You know, we're, we're in a good spot. We're comfortable um, and we're blessed. We're, we're in a privileged position, you know, that we don't have to worry about where the next, when the next check's coming and we'll, do we have enough to get us through um, to pay the bills and what are we going to eat? And, you know, we don't have to worry about any of that. So, so we feel blessed. Um, but that does give me choices. That, that, that does then allow me to consider um, when opportunities arise, what, what really is the driving force behind whether or not I might pursue that opportunity? And long ago, I, I learned that, you know, it's just not going to to be about the power, the prestige, or the money. Um, I think I've shared it with you before, but, you know, I switched majors a bunch of times um, while I was going through college. And, you know, at, at one point, I'd settled into being an accountant. Um, that was my decision. And I was at one of the top two or three accounting schools in in the the top two or three accounting programs in the country. So if, if I had finished that program, I had my path paved for me for the rest of my life. Um, I would have had good paying um, jobs and lots of opportunity at the best companies, um, you know, for the rest of my life. The problem was I couldn't see it. I, I just couldn't see how I could live out my career Doing that work. Um, it I just wasn't uh, it just wasn't as meaningful to me, and i didn't I didn't have any sense of calling whatsoever in it. I was doing it merely because I was good at it, because um, i I was in a top program, and so there's a prestige pa- uh, factor and because of um, just the idea of of good pay and security and stability. that's that's why I was doing it. And uh, it took me a while, but I finally woke up to the realization that you know what I'm just going to be miserable if this is what I do. And I'm not saying that that all accountants are miserable. Obviously not, right? No, because that, some are called to it. Some yeah. are called
1: to do that job and they love it.
0: Exactly. Exactly. And I know people that absolutely love that job. It wasn't me for me though. Right. It wasn't for me and I luckily I figured that out and I ended up going down a completely different path and you know I went into higher education and I became a professor and do consulting on the side and and uh, that has been meaningful to me. That's my calling, and I, I feel a great sense of purpose uh, around helping students prepare for, for their prepare for their future career and for a successful life, and and just helping um, my colleagues, you know, to to achieve success. And you know, that's that's what I discovered was my calling, and I know that I'll never get rich from it, um, because I'm a uni- I'm a public university professor. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. that's. That's not the kind of job that's gonna give you um, a ton of money, but it does give me a ton of fulfillment. It gives me a ton of uh, meaning and purpose in my work, and I feel called to it. Um, And so, oh, the other thing I was gonna mention in relation to what you were sharing, you know, sometimes people think, and I thought this too at the time when I was going through the accounting program, even before I made the decision to switch, um, but I knew I didn't like it. So I'd already decided I, I don't really like this. I'm not sure I could see myself doing this, but you know what? I'll just do it. I'll do it for like 10 years. And in 10 years, I'll build out you know a nice resume and I'll make a lot of money. And then then I will be able to switch and I'll be able to go do something else that I have more passion for, I feel called to. And I see, I see other people do that all the time. They're like, you know what? I'll, I'll go through the grind. I'll do this job that I, I feel no connection to and I'll do it for 10, 20 years. And then at that point, you know, I've made bank and now I can get back. And now I can go and, and be a humanitarian and I can get back to social causes and I can you know, work for a nonprofit or you know, whatever. I see people say that all the time. The number of people who actually do that though is very small in part for, for what you just mentioned because people, regardless of whether that's your intention initially, you just life happens. You you have you grow into a family or whatever your situation is. You end up having bills. You have a house, a mortgage. Yeah. Um, you grow into a lifestyle, and then all of a sudden, it's not such an easy choice to say I'm going to give up this high-paying executive position um, to go be a school teacher. You know, at that point, you, you you've already lived for a decade or two in a certain lifestyle, and and
1: chances are you're never going to give that up. Yeah, I only know of a few. I know uh, one guy, he made, he made bank in um, <laughs> banking, and his wife, his wife was an MD, and one day he just walked away and became a professional firefighter. It was what he had always wanted to do when he was, he was younger, and he, he walked away. So there are those stories that it happens, but you're absolutely right. Um, <laughs> Success is usually 1% in whatever it is that you're gonna do. It's usually a 1% thing. We know that, we know that to be true um, for most people, like the amount of people that go on to become professional athletes, the amount of people that go on to make, you know, half a million dollars a year. It's, it's 1%, it's, it, it, it just is. And so when you go and pursue something and you're gonna grind and you get there and then, that also surrounds you with a certain type of individual. There's certain levels of expectation. There's certain, most people don't have the wherewithal to walk away from, from that. And so if you're, and I, again, I like money, you know, I, I like being where I'm at today versus being an 18 year old airman making $925 a month. Um, I, I'm not going to trade. I wouldn't go back and do that again. However, um, the journey was phenomenal. And where I'm at today is fantastic because I got to go on that journey. And I also appreciate what I have today, which is, again, a, a, much, a pretty cushy life, a life of privilege, a life of happiness. Um, but I'm not worth $100 million and have a private jet waiting for me. Um, like that, I, just, I just don't have that. Uh, but I also don't have an inner desire personally to want that. But for those who do want that, I would, I really, I really like coaching them and getting them to where they want to be because there's nothing wrong with it. You know, that those are the spoils of hard work. All I say is this, if you feel that you're being called to make a ton of money and have a private jet and have six homes and whatever the hell it is, that's not a calling. That's greed. There's a, there's a difference. If from your successes in your grind, you end up having all of that stuff, good on it. You earned it. Those are your yeah. trophies. You know, you came in first. Here's your trophies. You get to have them. So the whole saying that, you know, money doesn't buy happiness. Yeah, try not having any. It's pretty miserable. But at the same time, um, money gives you tools and it gives you options. So it is a good thing. It money's a really good thing. And it keeps us from killing each other over, you know, goods and services. But if your purpose in life that you feel to go out there is just to go make Money, but think about that for a second. If that is what you feel that you are being called to, I just need to go make money. Well, how? You know, if that, if your purpose is to get as much money as possible, well, then what does that really mean? And what are you willing to do to get it? Because would you go the wrong route? Would you go the fraud route, the coercion, the Bernie Madoff route? Would you get into, you know, laundering money for the cartels and Russian oligarch. Like what, what, like, what is it? What are you and, willing to do? And just the exploitation of
0: people. So I'm not saying anyone who has wealth has it because they've exploited people around. Them, oh no,
1: not at all, not at but, all.
0: But at all. some do, right? And, but you look at a lot of successful people who, who did make their millions or billions and then they become great philanthropists. Um, pretty much in every case that I can think of, they were purpose-driven people in their careers, yes. right? They yes. weren't doing it because of the money. They were doing no. it because of the challenge. They were doing yes. it because they, you know, if it's in tech, you know, they just, they had an, a genius tech mind and they, they had an idea and they, they wanted to see it through. And the money was just a byproduct. you know, it wasn't the purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then once they have the money, they're like, okay, now I'll give back. Um, that's different than saying, okay, I'm going to, um, I, I want to help people. I want to have this transcendent purpose to m- the work that I do and, and contribute back to society. But I'm gonna put that on hold till I'm retired. And in the meantime, I'm gonna you know, make, work to make a ton of money so that I'm in a position to help people in the future. I, I, I just don't think that usually plays out. Um, y- there's nothing keeping you from making a contribution today. And I think that's one thing that we see in millennials and Gen Z Students and workers is that they they just they they've they've challenged that notion of of previous generations that say you have to wait until you're older until you're in your second career until you're retired to then make a contribution to make a difference. They they don't accept it. They just say no. I'm going to make a contribution now. Mm -hmm. Uh, I want to have meaning and purpose in what I do, and I want to better the broader society. Not not every millennial and Gen Z, obviously, but but. Collectively, as a generation, as an age cohort, uh, we see that again and again and again in the research. So, you know, I think that's interesting and that's telling. Um, I, I also have a personal example of a good friend uh, who who was in acquisitions and mergers. He he ha- he is a JD um, from uni- University of Chicago. You know, a top top university. Yep. Top ten. Um, yep. And and he and he was. Um, Uh, legal counsel, vice president level positions, executive positions um, for, for fortune 100 companies doing mergers acquisitions. And he did it for a while, um, probably 15 years. And, and then he just one day, he's like, he came home from work and he said, he talked to his wife, you know, I think, I think it's time for a change. And he went from that to being a middle school science teacher. That was his career shift. And he probably was making about one 20th of what oh, he yeah. made mm-hmm. um, in that, in that shift. Now he was in a privileged position. He was able to do that because he did have a lot of money and he didn't need the income, but, but basically his whole, um, since that transition, he went from being a school teacher and then he got back into like nonprofit management. Um, and he's been a series of nonprofits and that's been his calling. And he just, he felt drawn to it. Um, and, and he listened, he listened to that inner voice and he listened to, you know, what he felt was lacking in his life. Um, he was really good at what he was doing, but he felt pulled into something more, something that actually would not help, um, organizations become richer or, or executives and CEOs to become richer, but to help the average individual have a better life. That was what he felt his calling was. And, and so he made the transition. I have like incredible respect, you know, for him. In, in doing that. And I'm not saying that's what everyone needs to do. That's not what we're saying. Everyone feels called to different things, right? Mm-hmm. And there's yeah. nothing wrong with being called, feeling called towards leadership and executive position, but it's just about the motivations. And, um, and I think too, you know, as we're thinking about our own motivations as leaders, as servant leaders, um, what's our calling to be in a leadership role? It's, again, it's not about the power of prestige. It's not about the money. Uh, if we're a servant leader, it's about empowering and lifting and and strengthening and helping those around us to grow and to fulfill their potential. That's that calling. That's that purpose. And if money comes along with it, great. If power, prestige, influence comes along with it, that's great. But that's not the driving purpose, right? Um, The last thing I thought we could talk about for just a few minutes is like, as a leader, what can we do to bring that out in our people? Um, you know if, if we need to be in tune to ourselves so we can find our calling, we can align our work with that calling. Um, how do we do that for the people
1: that work for us yeah that 's a great question so part of servant leadership you know at the the core of servant leadership, I would argue is meets the needs of others you know i 've said it before in my work that that 's really what it all boils down to is the servant leader meets the needs of others it 's longer than that, but that's really that 's the that's the one-floor elevator speech, right? In order to meet the needs of others, you have to know others. You have to spend time with them. You have to know their strengths, their weaknesses, um, what they're good at, what their desires are, where they want to go. And from there, you can help them elevate to what, whatever it is that, they, that those individuals want to pursue, okay? Knowing somebody's strengths and knowing somebody's weaknesses is one of the best things you can do when it comes to putting the right players in the right positions at the right time because there are people who are phenomenal engineers but they are horrific managers because it's not where their passion is it's not where it lies but you might have somebody that You know, you can see that they're an engineer and then you could, but they're very good with people. They're very good with the processes of the organization. And you can just sit down with them and have a conversation with them and say, you know, have you ever thought about taking on a leadership role, maybe stepping into it? And again, when we talked in the beginning about it being, you know, it's not this religious thing. It's not. It's it's not Paul on the road to Damascus. It's always these little things. And it might be something as simple as that question that the individual that sparks something inside of them and gets those juices flowing. And then that inner self and they're like, yeah, like I didn't, I didn't know that I could go to that next level. I never really thought about it. I spent so many years going this way and now I can, I can go in that direction. And that can actually spark another calling inside of that individual, of something that they never really thought about. So the biggest thing that I say with leaders is when you spend time with your people, you get to know your people and you get, when you work with them, you get to know their strengths and you get to know their weaknesses. And from there, you can see where they would be great at where they can go. And I can give you a perfect example about myself. Years ago, I was thinking I wanted to be a fire investigator get into arson investigation inspections and all this kind of stuff and in the dod they especially within the air force they take that very very serious because the air force's goal is to not have things burned to the ground okay and we had a position open and i put in for it and the chief of department pulled me aside and he's like you're not a fire inspector and i was like what he goes i saw your name on the list you're not a fire inspector you're an ops guy. You have been an ops guy since you were 18. You like high speed, low drag, dangerous things. You enjoy the profession and working as a team. You are going to be freaking miserable in that job. He goes, You think it'll be fun, but you're going to be doing way more inspections than you are arson investigations. So, you're not going into that position and at first i was really taken back i was like how dare you it was a promotion it was a gold shield a white shirt i'm home on i spend one night on ops the rest of the time it's just a good gig it's a lot cleaner um but he was right i was looking at it more along the lines of the ability to say yeah i'm an arson investigator with the department of defense Uh, you know uh, fire service. I, you know, it's a promotion. I'm going to make more money. But in the end, I'd have been, I'd have been absolutely miserable in that job because he knew me. He knew me well, you know, he had spent a lot of time and it was a big department, but you know, he had known me and he'd known what I was capable of. And so that's the thing. Do you know your people? Will they be happy in the position? And why is it that they're doing it? Are they doing it just because they feel this obligation to promote or to make more money? Or do they feel, are they doing it because they feel that there is this calling, sense of this, that sense of purpose, you know, yeah. a sense of fulfillment that comes from doing what you truly love?
0: Well, yeah. And, and so what you highlighted there was the opportunity, opportunity that leaders have to coach and mentor their people towards that purpose, towards that calling. Yes. Um and what what your boss didn't do that I, I don't want listeners to misunderstand, like he wasn't saying I don't believe in you, I don't think you're capable, and so he wasn't like trying to shut you down out of a out of a kind of an arrogant sense of I know what's better for you and you're not up to to the challenge. That's not what he was doing at all. Right. But he, he knew you and he knew how that career um trajectory you know would take you and he he suspected that it wouldn't be a great fit for you and so we had that conversation with you and it 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 took you back a bit but it was a good conversation to have and it was a good challenge you know for you to have to kind of work through and think about that and if, if that's the intention behind why we have those types of conversations to coaching mentoring um empowering and bettering um those people that we work with um that that's That's what it's all about, um, you know, and and trying to help people find their calling. We can do that as leaders as we know our people. Now, I don't want to suggest to anyone that you you utilize your power in a position of authority to squash people and shut people down when they're trying to make career advancements. That's not what your story was about at all. No,
1: not at all. Um, Not at all.
0: But you know, I could see—I've seen it. I've seen people do that, and they and they framed it as though they were doing this great, um, generous thing to their to the, their individual, because they were saving them, you know, from heartache and and um, stress or whatever. Um, but that's not what we're talking about. Um, no. But 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 mentoring and coaching is super helpful, and and it, it can help people have clear a clear sense of themselves. Um, especially if you, if you just need that gentle nudge, if, if you already know you're questioning, you're already, you already know that you're not quite sure if this would be the right move for you. Um, but then you have that outside person coming in and providing their, their honest, authentic, um, kind of vulnerable perspective on how you might fit with, you know, whatever type of work you might be thinking about doing, you know, that can be powerful. That can help us make some really good choices.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And you know, the, the beautiful thing about working for servant leaders um, is the servant leader will help, will help you. And they also expect you to help them um, see blind spots.
0: Yeah, that's, that's right. The blind spots are really important. And we just don't know what we don't know. Right. Um, That's right. And so unless we have other trusted individuals around us, surrounding us, um, that can help us, that can push back and help us see those blind spots. We're, we're, it's inevitable that we are going to end up stepping in major potholes <laughs> along the way. That could be avoided, you know, just if we, if we have those trusted advisors around us.
1: Yeah, yeah. And most, you know, when, you, when you're dealing with things like calling, um, the funny thing is, is most people don't settle into what they're going to do for the rest of their life until they're about 35 years old. And so for younger people that listen to this, You know, understand you're not supposed to know. And for these younger generations, you think about there's a person that's been born in the last five years that's going to live to be 150 years old, 150 years old. So if you think that you need to be married with children and then the job you're going to do for the rest of your life by the time you're 20, good luck with that. You know, this is a long road. Um, And the thing is, is that inner self, that purpose and that fulfillment you're going to be, that calling exists in you, but you might not hear the voice yet. You might not hear what that is. And that's why you always want to have your ears open. And that's what servant leaders do to people is they push them to be the best of selves. They know what they need and they give them what they need in order for them to become their best selves and remove the roadblocks and the pitfalls. And they understand that who that individual is today, that's not who they are 10 years from now. There's so much more that's there and what is that individual's in, internal calling to be and when you can find that out and you can mesh that in with your organization man you just get you get amazing results when you when you do those things and you help people not only find their purpose but they find the positions where they're going to be the most successful where you the organization and them all benefit
0: yes yes absolutely and that's that's ultimately you know wh- if we loop it all the way back, and, and we've had this discussion in previous weeks, that servant leadership isn't just this warm, fluffy, you know, um, kind of ideology at the cost of the organization's success. It's right. it's actually it, it's it's completely in line. So as a servant leader um, helps to empower their people to find their calling, then. Over time, that will benefit the individual, that will benefit you as the, the uh, leader, uh, but that will benefit the organization because you'll have people doing what they're best at, what they love, what they're most capable at doing, um, that they feel drawn to, and, and that will lead to better outcomes for everybody. Um, and mm-hmm. so we're, we're talking about uh, uh, an approach that will be better for everyone and ultimately drive organizational success. Um, so so it's a self-interested there can be a self-interested motive behind it um, in connection with these other types of motives that that we might have and we're all more complex than one simple motivation we all have you know a whole whole uh, set of motives that drive what we do what we're suggesting is if your number one motivation is money and power that's probably not going to give you fulfillment but it can be part of your motivational mix. And as a leader trying to empower my people, part of my motivational mix can absolutely be to make me look better as a leader and to help the organization be successful.
1: Yes, absolutely. Self-interest matters. I don't ever want anybody to take servant leadership as a self-sacrificing thing because it's just not true. That's the ice cream for breakfast.
0: Yeah. 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 Well, excellent. Eric, it has been a real pleasure talking with you. This has been a fun discussion. This is. I love it. I love yeah. it. It's so and, good. and, you know, calling it is, like I said at the very beginning when we were opening, it's something I've thought a lot about for years and years, for a good part of my life. Um, I've, and I've really found it, servant leadership, to be a powerful framework for understanding calling and purpose and helping us as leaders think about you know, our our own personal alignment with our, our own calling in the in work, the work that we do, but also in helping those around us to do the same. It's been a, a fun discussion
1: today. Any last word before we close? Um, just, I want people to remember that there is, you have two things that are pulling against you. You have what the things that you really truly want in life and the thing that society is telling that you want, and those things are going on. And the secret to happiness is not, not sacrificing what you really want for what you want in the moment or what other people want for you. So. Amen. Listen to that inner self. Yep.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Eric. Um, thanks to the listeners for joining us. I hope everyone continues to stay healthy and safe, find meaning and purpose at work. I hope everyone has a great week.